Here we are with episode three of No Persinium. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. We're back this week with part two of our interview with Jamie Peterson, the creator of At an Appointed Time, an interactive theater experience that was here in L.A. last year, which I absolutely loved. In the first part, we focused, sort of, on Jamie as an audience member, and for this week, we're going to look at Jamie's thought process as a creator. But first, here's a bit of what's been going on in the immersive world this week. Director Mikhail Tara Garver's latest environmentally staged piece, Together We Are Making a Poem in Honor of Life, is going to be premiering in New York City next month. Garver's series of essays at HowlRound, on what she calls Open Frame Theater, are some of the most accessible and thorough on the topic of immersive and interactive theater we have. There's some interesting buzz coming out of the Orlando Fringe Festival about an interactive piece called The Republic. We've added a few reviews to the Twitter feed, and we'll archive some at the No Pro Facebook page. Speaking of fringe festivals, the Hollywood Fringe is just around the corner, and we are looking for tips on immersive, interactive, and just plain experimental stuff going on there. Email us at no underscore persinium at outlook.com with tips. And as always, that is the tip hotline. LA Kids, there's still time to score tickets to the Speakeasy Society's The Quick and the Dead. I'll be there on Friday the 29th if you want to sip drinks and talk immersive afterward. Check the latest issue of the LA Newsletter for links. All right, enough chit-chat, on with the show. This is the second part of the conversation. And we're back. And we're back. Uh, sitting across from me here at the No Persinium kitchen table is uh, Jamie Peterson. Hi. Who's, uh, he gave you his uh, bio last time, so and I probably just mentioned some of it uh, in the intro yet to be recorded. Um, we talked about you as an audience member, how, how you kind of got interested in immersive, in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in general – um, and at the start of that, you, you brought up uh, the piece you did here in L.A. last year at an appointed time, which sometimes I remember as Daedalus and Son because that was the name oh, of the bar. such a better name. <laughs> <laughs> I would just really – that everything came together so quickly. The naming stuff just was like – it just happened. So talk to me, talk to me about, you know, about how you put that show together. You gave a little bit – of, of what that show was. But yeah, but break it down again. Give that right. a bit of pitch of the show. So then... the, so the, that show, that show was fundamentally an experiment in, uh, in like spatial confusion. Um, I think is the easiest way to put it. What we did was we built a bar, a little bar front in a, a fire dancing studio that we rented for a month. Um, and I built a fake dive bar replete with Pac-Man machine and, uh, delicious old fashions if I do say so myself and then good, there good. was a <laughs> especially for how cheap the whiskey was oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the um, and then there was a coat room and and uh, groups of up to four were invited through the into the coat room where they would discover that it wasn't a coat room at all but a, a kind of shabbily hung series of coats with a light behind it the light was a magic talking lantern which would lead you through an experience in this maze the maze itself would change at points behind you, so you would hit a dead end, come back, 
and there would be a different route available to you. I mean, not even available to you. It would just be the way that you came was closed. And then, and then before you knew it, you were lost. And that was the idea. It was trying to find, trying to get lost in 3000 square feet. Um, the ironically, the Daedalus thing, that entire piece came about as, um, I want, I wanted to make a maze. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a maze that moved. I wanted, uh, I wanted to recreate something along the lines of Legends of the Hidden Temple, I think, was the original idea. Um, that was the one with the giant talking stone head on Nickelodeon and, like, the, oh. the blue barracudas and the purple parrots and, like, kids being tortured by terrifying Aztec guards. Um, anyway, but it was... I didn't have to make a security. It was a, so, yeah. yeah, it was a series of environments uh, that they were, like, a maze sort of like a two-dimensional maze almost that they were forced to go through. Um, and I wanted to try to, I, I was interested in trying to like, to create a, a, like an adult immersive experience that was confusing. Um, and, but that was like sort of drawing you through this like labyrinthine story. And uh, my friend Danny Teeger, who's a, a super genius who lives in New York now, but will be coming back to LA uh, to star in Matilda. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he actually, I, he was like, I told him about it and I was like, this, I'm thinking about doing this. And he was like, he got on board, uh, and he and I hashed out the helped. He like, he helped me conceive and design of the whole maze because he's like a, uh, he's a brilliant games mind. And, and he was also the one who, with whom I was like, maybe we just do Daedalus. And that was the, cause we didn't have a narrative. And I actually at one, at the beginning wanted to eschew narrative completely and that was a, it, it proved to be too difficult because it was like, what's the thread that's pulling us through this thing? And then we were, I was like, what's the thread that's pulling us through the maze? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Like <laughs> right on the head. Uh, so that was, so that was the like very sort of organic thing that came about it. And that's why the bar ended up being called Daedalus and Son. Daedalus and Son, the reason that the piece wasn't called Daedalus and Son was literally because the piece was already happening before we added the narrative. Um, oh, wow. and so, uh, I like, I rented the space and I was, we were, or I, I tried to rent the space. We were going back and forth. And then what eventually happened is that we were able to strike, strike an agreement 10 days before loaded. And so we had 10 days to like design, conceive of, basically put the thing up, build it. I built like 90% of it myself. And then just kind of go from there and like it, it feels to me like i'm someone who will like stew on something for a very long time before trying to bring it into reality and it, it really feels to me from everything I've, I've talking to annie saunders of of the day shall declare it talking to the speakeasy society kids um this stuff seems to happen fast yeah it's like you you get I mean there are other things that can slow it down but it, it it does feel like the actual time spent working on material is a lot faster than you think and and does do you think that helps with like the immediacy like having like you need to lean into the 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 crux of what's happening and figure that that interaction out yeah absolutely like the and I think that that's like. Uh, a weird byproduct of the the fact that there aren't there's no infrastructure for this work mm -hmm. so 
the reason that, I mean, you have development cycles for theater because you're talking about grant timelines, you're talking about rehearsal schedules, you're talking about uh, presentation schedules, you're talking about programming for, like, or trying to get the attention of certain curators who are going to be around, you know, like, there's all of these variables because there's all of this infrastructure. And with this, it's like, I need a warehouse, and then a warehouse will present itself, and you either go or you don't. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and I think... I mean, I don't know. I, I love this sort of like alchemical imbalance of unpreparedness. Like, because like sometimes it's going to be a dud. That's your biography's name. Right? I have. Like the autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, that's, that is a pretty accurate sum, summation of my entire life thus far. But the, the really interesting thing about it is that you need, you need collaborators and performers who will who also can thrive in that kind of environment without this, without the like comfort of, I mean, so how do you find them? I don't know. I mean, I worked with, uh, uh, Sam Zabo and Nora King. And, um, I mean, I, there were a bunch of people that kind of came out of the woodwork for me. Um, and I, after reaching out and being like, is anybody interested in like trying this out? Because it was very much like, we've got three weeks to do this. It's gonna be weird, and I don't know what it is. And like the, a lot of the the performative elements. So, so in that, in a point of time, the actors functioned also as like the the unseen hand of the piece. Like they were the ones who were like moving things and like causing. There was one part where they would run on either side of a hallway, and the walls were all butcher paper. So the walls would like billow with the wind behind them. And it would, it scared the living daylights out of people. And it was the simplest thing. Um, and like we found, we kind of found that stuff just like from, like I would be upstairs. The, the, the studio that we rented had a little like uh, office area that had windows that looked down over the space, which made it ironically perfect for this piece. Um, and so I would be upstairs, like kind of like jamming on tech and like trying to figure out like, sound or lighting or like whatever whatever else was going on and they were I just was like you know what just like explore the space find interesting moments and then we'll implement them because we've got like you know we've got like a half hour to fill for each group that's going through um yeah and that was so that was really the it's it's really like you need you need like you need improvisation you need uh like a kind of spatial awareness and a lot of like experimental theater kids are good at this because they're because of viewpoints because of what like all of these like trainings that these like training exercises that you go through to kind of learn how to interact with space by itself and so that makes like there are there is a class of actor that's more adept than normal actors at at adapt at like interpreting this kind of work and engaging with it and who will find it very exciting. And so, I mean, I was very, very lucky, I think, uh, to find the people that I did because it was super industri- interesting and, like, uh, they, we had a great time. Uh, it was too short. I wish we could have kept... I mean, I kind of wish we could have kept running because I think we could have done more with it. And I think... But, I mean... Anyway, which actually brings me to something else is, like, flow problems are a huge thing as a creator that you have to concern yourself with. All right, let's, let's talk about that. And Sorry, so, yeah. For those, those who don't know, because I don't think most, most traditional theater folk don't have to worry about flow problems yeah. at all. Um, and that 
at least not this kind of flow problem. Right. Uh, there's other kind of flow problems. There are, yes. That, you know. But, um, and, and there's, and film people don't for certain have yeah. to worry about flow problems. There, there is a branch of entertainment that does, and that's the theme park. Theme park, yeah, amusement park rides. Um, but, but talk to us about that. Well, so at point in time's biggest weakness was the fact that we could really, I mean, if we shoehorned it in there, we could get five. But any more than that, the experience became substantially less intimate, and uh, that became sort of problematic. Um, and so you have X number of hours that people are willing to go through this a night. If you get behind, then everybody stacks up. I mean, then you're causing traffic jams. And so at five people, you're, you, I found myself trying to rush them through the experience. Mm. And like Danny would be, Danny would, uh, was doing a little bit of front of house work on, on the show too. And uh, he was the voice, he was the first voice of Remy and then he had to go away for a while. So I took over. And then when he came back, he was, he was like helping with like front of house and like make sure that like everybody in the bar was like engaged, having a good time kind of. And then, but would periodically pop up and be like, you got to go dude. Because, because you like, I'd find there'd be somebody really interesting and I'd like have a connection with them because I, as the voice of the lantern, I could talk to them. And like, it was like a phone conversation basically. Um, and, uh, but one where you got to see what they were up to. Yeah, exactly. I was looking down on them too. And, um, that was so, I mean, it's, and so somebody that I, that was like really enjoying themselves, I wanted to give them so much rope. But the fact of the matter was, is that like, there was somebody behind them waiting for them to get out of the maze. And so, I mean, so in, in trying to reconceive this piece or, or, you know, think about remounting it, that's like the huge, that's the biggest obstacle. Yeah. And that's the biggest obstacle to like a lot of things. I mean, you're looking at like escape rooms and like this, any idea that you really have yeah. kind of butts up against this idea of like, all right, but how many people are you actually doing? And because you probably have to do it multiple times a night, it becomes exhausting. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's hugely difficult. Uh, and that's a problem that you just, I mean, there, there is like a real beauty to theater in that you do the show, you get sweaty and then you bow and then you get to go leave. Yeah. And like, you get to ride that euphoria as opposed to like, you finish the first one and you're like, you're like, oh man, I think we really, oh no, we're going again. All right, here we go. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's hard. This is, it's so hard. Uh, it's why some of the things that I've been devising since then ha- are more focused upon like sort of a happening environment or like a, a much more free form kind of, um, a less structured experience. Like, so instead of traveling literally on a linear path, it's more about creating an open environment that people uh, are, are led through or aren't really led through, but are propelling themselves through at their own pace, but is accommodating of as many people as possible. And so that's the, like, that's the balancing act. I mean, that's the, like, spinning a plate on on a stick. What's sort of what you get into in Sleep No More, they'll use what I call a sandbox structure. Like a a sandbox. A sandbox structure, exactly. It's like you drop everybody in, and it's like go where you want to go. And although, you know, if you go back to, like, our, our conversation part one about, like, the, the level of involvement of the audience or the idea that this couldn't be happening unless the audience was there. You know, the sandbox structure really leans away from that phenomenon. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the, 
So yeah, so where's so you know it's trying to find the the equilibrium, the yeah. like fulcrum of that, and like where where do we get like something where we can have you've been enough Vinci? of both? Have you been to Vinci Fell? No. Okay, so uh, I, I feel like I always feel like th- their solution to it is what I call a, a clockwork structure. Uh-huh. So like there's there's a few different pathways that audience members can go on. But they sort of load everybody up into into a different scene. Like there's like 12 audience members or 15 audience. There's 15 audience members, 12, 12 members of the cast and crew. So they take the 15 audience members and they load them up into several different A scenes. So like, oh, you might be in the sanitarium. You might be in the in the chapel. You might be in the bedroom. You might be. So you're, everyone's in a different room. And then they start the machine up. They start the show. Mm-hmm. And then you're taken from or you're led from room to room to room on a path and if we were sitting on opposite sides of the of the lobby you know you might be loaded up into scene a and i might be loaded up into scene z and by the end of the night we would trade notes and right. would have maybe not necessarily but we might have experienced the exact opposite order of events right right oh, interesting so yeah so everybody kind of rotates around this central yeah or this like yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's like a, so. There's there's like four or five different ways through the maze. Sure, but you know each each sequence has got to, is it happening in a discre- discrete time. And indeed, kind of like um, kind of like with some of uh, Yuval Sharon's work, uh, everyone can hear the music. Like uh, like there's there's a soundtrack uh, that's shared between all of the scenes. It's. Um, I think I mean at least at certain points. Yeah. Like there's there's uh, there's specific points, and I'm not gonna spoil anything for anybody. Don't worry. <laughs> but there's certain points where, um, if not necessarily everybody, then at least certain there's there's audio that's shared between the different rooms. Cool. And you know audio. I mean, if you think about it from a musical standpoint, that's how you keep time. It's the yeah. Click 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 the beats. Um. So that's like that's that's a one. Maybe yeah, that's another way of breaking to, of breaking that all down, and there, there's it's like it's sort of the grand problem, like it's the yeah. it's the like, grand equation of this form, in some ways, like how do we manage people, yeah. uh, and how do we like how do we provide them with uh, with an immersive with immersive experience with interactivity to some degree with uh, with feeling you know complicit and sort of um, engaged, and then but also like get them through the thing. We're McDonald's. <laughs> We're McDonald's. We like billions and billions. Lots of seats, uh, but don't put the cushions on them. Can we be Chipotle? We could probably be Chipotle because they, they're pretty efficient with that line. They very, they are very efficient. They give you options, but a limited number of options. Yes, yeah. and you can get creative, and they're generally able to deal with it rather rapidly because you know nachos just means throwing a bag of chips into the bowl True. and throwing the rest of the junk that would be in a burrito right. on top of it. that's the other thing too is that like the secret menu <laughs> also and like this is something um that we i wanted to that i was like sort of trying to touch on uh, in um in a point of time was the the like secrecy of it and like this also it's also part of um sleep no more is the, the, the apparently and I've heard this. I don't think this was when it existed when I saw it in Boston. But apparently, there's like a top floor where they push you through a in a wheelchair through like a, a replica of Gotham and the Danny Elfman Batman soundtrack plays. 
I haven't heard about the Danny Elfman Batman soundtrack. Because <laughs> that was true, I'm really upset that I missed that Seriously, scene. Seriously, though, I like... There's a scene that happens a couple of times a night where they take where the, the person on the top floor gets yeah put into a chair and wheeled around, apparently. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I heard something about, like, that, like, the straight-up Danny Elfman Batman soundtrack plays, and they're pushing you through a miniature what? city. But I also I would, feel like, I would I would spend so much money trying I to know, make the jackpot right? like but the thousand uh, dollars right there for that alone. Honestly, though, that aspect of it is almost whether or not that exists is almost completely irrelevant because it's been elevated to effectively folklore. Yeah. So whether or not that exists, the fact that I think it does is incredible. Well, well that's like my, <laughs> that's like my my unofficial tagline for no proscenium. Like, yeah. You know, like what what is the motto of the no prosceniumite? It's uh, go somewhere strange, do something cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm. Wh- where are we going tonight? Well, there's this, like, warehouse that's been converted, <laughs> like, somewhere in Frogtown, and someone's going to perform, like, a folk opera inside of it, and we're all going to be on stilts. You're like, I'm okay, down. let's do it. See that. You know, and, like, I mean, granted, it does sound like a Saturday Night Live, you know, joke. Like, sure. Like, how absurd, and it's like, it's like a Stefan bit, you know, like... Los Angeles is hottest nightclub, uh, but um, I, I did the hand motion yeah, for Jamie's yeah. sake. Um, it's so antithetical to the the feeds. You know, yeah. we call our media everything's our feed. It's a feed. We're yeah. being fed, 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 and this is like oh my god, no. we're hunting. Yes, that's the thing is that it puts the onus on you as the you become a complicit as a creator of your experience, and I yeah. think that's like. That's like tremendously important, yeah. Um, and that's something that, like, that I that my work, I think that everything that I've been working on for the future, and that I started with that show, and that I even started with my older work, was like trying to, in some way, make that like. I mean, in the in my older theatrical work, it was supposed to be that the emotional weight that you felt was adding to the performance because there was so there was so much that you were like ramping into it. Mm. Um, but it's, I mean, but it is by necessity a passive experience and, right. and a point of time was attempting to like reach that level of connection, uh, reach that level of engagement with trying, with just like a string, with like following a string through a maze kind of, yeah. um, following this weird narrative thread. And so I want to try to explore that notion further about like follow about like, you know, that hunting, that kind of like even in a sandbox form, giving people that idea of trying to like find the thing and like, and be obtuse. I mean, I also like, I'm from the like avant-garde dis like very, like I worked for Richard Foreman and his work is purposefully obtuse. If you think you understand something, if you say that you think you get something in rehearsal, he will change it to spite you. Not, and like, he will never tell you if you're right and you're probably not unless you're like, my friend Morgan, who was like, yeah, no, this is Lacan right here. And then I'm just like, come on, that's crazy. But the, uh, but that's the thing, is that, like, so that idea of hunting, that idea of, like, secrecy, of almost the folklore of it, yeah, it becomes this, and it is what we have right now because there is this frontier that's happening. Well, and, like, I mean, they use it as a marketing tool oh, yeah. Sleep No More. And, and, you know, the speakeasy kids sort of use you know, the, the, we had a full conversation about, like, their Easter eggs. With, yeah. You know, oh, God, and, I love that. Yeah. And and this idea that 
fucking Dollar Shave Club sent me a pin and was like, hold on to this. Trust us. Because apparently I had, I had been a member for, for long enough. Huh. And like, it was, uh, like I was, I was like a very early member, I guess. Yeah. Uh, my, like my wife signed us up and then after like three, four, five years or however long it's been, they like sent, sent us a letter with like a little pin in it. And it was like, trust us, you're going to want to hold on to this. Has it born? Not yet, yet, but like for real Dollar Shave Club? (laughs) I'm in. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but like. Well, I feel like, I feel like that's what everyone in pop culture tries to buy. Right. Or right. like if you're a collect, like I collect certain plastic objects. Sure. And, uh, um, oh, that could sound really bad. Star <laughs> Wars toys. Okay. There's Star Wars toys. And, and there's, there's a way in which that market's exploited by creating rarity, the way they right. babies were or whatnot. <laughs> but, but there's something about we all have that hunger. But I think there's this refined form of it where it's not this hunger to have the thing, the tchotchke that no one else has. It's just no. like, because that's just representative of the experience, right? Like yep. it's it, it's it's a poor man's stand. Well, it's a rich man's stand because he's wasting money on plastic toys. Absolutely. But it's it's a poor man's stand-in for the experience you could have if you took yourself to the place. Mm-hmm. And, and so much of our culture is arrayed around the totems. Like, yeah. let me take the picture of me there. Let me let me uh, buy the T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, let me, you know, get the, the, the monogrammed towel, you know. We get the artifact to belong to the club. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know, but there, but there's a, there's like a, those are not the same thing. No. And, and this work feels to me that it's about creating the experiences. Yeah. Because at the end of it, and, and that's the general work when we're talking about, but like, but your work, you know, there's some. There was something about going through that maze with with the two people that I did go through that maze with, and getting. You know, it's like it's like you always look at um, people in relationships. Like I think it's interesting that you work. This is something we haven't talked about. That the, in that piece you design for a small group, mm-hmm. right? Like I see people designing for individuals. I see people designing for like large swaths of people, but the idea that you were designing for a, a small group and they they had to work together a little bit, it wasn't like a super big challenge no. or, or they had to, but they got to sort of like that, that internal push pull of a group. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it became an experience and, and a very particular experience that we had all gone through together as composed, opposed to like you know, sleep no more where it's like, everyone's up for grabs. Well, and the masks. Yeah. Uh, anonymize, anonymize you. So, so, but this was like, this was an, it's an attempt to make a collapse. Well, it, it's twofold, right? So that the, the function of that was one that you all, you have a buddy, the buddy system puts people's like, puts people's, uh, everybody who sit, goes to a comedy show and is like, I swear to God, if he like points at me or talks to me, you know, like uh, people who are terrified of audience interaction right. and that piece was audience interaction. Yeah. But I, but it was in a dark hallway. And so even though, but like people still were very, very nervous about that. My wife's coworkers were like, um, but like, and they were, they were super nervous because people don't, people are, are accustomed to passive entertainment. Yeah. And so active entertainment becomes like, 
okay, but like, what are the rules? And so allowing people to experience it as a group and together gives them the safety of that group. And it also gives them this sense of the second half of that is that it gives them this collaboration that's happened. Yeah. As that, like that experience and like, and being like, Hey, look at this. Or like, and like, and also I, I was like kind of, you know, I was fully chintzy about it. Like there was a joke at one point where would they walk by a mirror and I'm like, if you feel the need to take a picture of yourself right now, please go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, and so, the, but that was like a thing. Like yeah. it was like, and people did cause they were like, what, where am I? And like, <laughs> <laughs> and it became, it's like, it became this, I mean, that's the thing is that like they became the, the trying to foster that, that collaboration with between me and, and this group of people. I'm going to hit you with a, a stumper again. And maybe this is a bad question to end on, uh, but it, this is a dry run for, for, for this entire podcast in some way. Yeah. Um, if you could crack into a dream project of this nature right now, like let's say, let's say I wake up tomorrow having won the lotto. Mm. And, which you are. Which I'm way. going to. Yeah. It's going to be awesome, oh, guys. God. Oh, Particularly, I really it, it, it matrix light my darkest hour because <laughs> seriously. So so when I wake up tomorrow having won the lotto, sure. I finally find out that it actually has happened, uh, and I call you up and say, "Hey Jamie, you have a hundred thousand dollars." Right? Just me like grimace a little bit. Uh, let's let's go crack into a problem. What what would you run after? That's tough. Uh, I think the thing, my like dream, my dream project right now is sort of this party with like, with every, where everybody's wired, everybody has like an in-ear and this, and there's like a meta narrative that's being told through the party. And then that slowly becomes an active, like the narrative encourages you to start to take action at certain points. Right. And then those actions build and build and build until it sorts starts to like transcend that that simple in gathering to become an active public choreography and like mm. an active narrative. So there are no actors. There are only there's only the audience acting out the will of the narrative. And so they become the actors to each other. Uh, and I would I really want to do it in like the Alexandria ballroom. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> in this in some some grand space where there's really something you know, phenom- there's a really phenomenal room there. It's either that or this idea I have for draping, uh, for covering the uh, Park Avenue Armory drill hall in fabric and then like low hanging fabric. So you have, you have to like lift it up so you can only ever see a couple feet in front of you. And then huh. you slowly will, there are like lampposts and some different things that are supporting um Supporting small areas where where like performance is happening or bits and pieces of stuff happen. Huh. So you like have to literally find them by like lifting by like like in a blanket fort like that's collapsed. <laughs> but for like two hundred thousand square feet. <laughs> okay. So wild impracticalities aside, uh, also fire hazards. Oh, uh, big fire hazards. Oh, the egress problems of that. I can't even. Uh, no. That's why I'm, I'm. That's why I'm more of an artist than a producer these days. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's, it's more straightforward. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it is those 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 uh, puzzles that producers face that often drive <laughs> yeah. us all nuts. Yeah. So, well, Jamie, let's um, 
let's sock out here and uh, how how can if people want to kind of connect with you out in the grand ether that is the internet what's what's a place they can find you or, or how should they how should they be looking to keep up with you and um, get up to something because you don't have anything scheduled right now I, I, know don't. I know that something but that's the thing it's like Tomorrow you could get a piece of space, and you know, oh, yeah. and in three weeks it could suddenly be like, oh, oh crap! Everybody, Jamie's got something. Yeah, I, well, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. I want to. I really want to do something in June, but I haven't found the space. I haven't found space yet. Uh, if you're out there and you have a warehouse and you want me to do something awesome in it, uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Paper Industry, and uh, uh, I don't have Facebook, and I just. I have been having a lot of conversations with people now where they're like, I mean, you have to have Facebook and I resent that so much, but at the same time, it's like the yellow pages of your, like before, (laughs) like it's effectively become that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the Twitter is a great way to get a hold of me and, uh, Instagram and Peters and Jamie, uh, if you want to see what I do in my day job and like dumb things that I do. I don't know if I follow your Instagram. I'm going to rectify I'm, that. I'm not super prolific, yeah. but I, I want to change that. I need to change that. You have you have an interesting, you have an interesting day job, which we won't get into. <sighs> so, like, I'd I'd, I'd be I'd be uh, curious <laughs> to see the pictures. All right. Well, that was uh, part two of our conversation with Jamie Peterson at Paper Industry on Twitter, creator of At an Appointed Time and Whatever's Going to Happen in June here in LA, and uh, we'll be talking to Jamie again. Another big thanks to Jamie Peterson for being our second guest on the show. Next week, Jennifer Chang, founding member of LA's Chalk Repertory Theater, who specializes in site-specific productions, is going to be here for the first of a two-part interview. And a little bonus segment ahead of Chalk Rep's next show, Diet of Worms, which kicks off their residency at St. John's Cathedral in University Park. It's a pretty spectacular set of episodes. I hope you'll join us. As always, you can sign up for the newsletters at nopersinium.com. There are three flavors, L.A., New York, and San Francisco. They are all free, just like this podcast. You can find us on Twitter under the handle of at NoPersinium, and I lurk there too as at Noah J. Nelson. On Facebook, we're NoPersinium, and there's a collection at Medium called Do I Even Need to Tell You? That, that's not actually the name. The name is NoPersinium. This show is made possible by the oh-so-generous contributions of our Patreon backers. Visit patreon.com slash to find out how you can make this show even better, and trust me, we could use the help. Speaking of, this thing needs music. If anyone out there listening has some tunes they'd like to contribute to the show, I'm all ears. You really don't want me humming a new theme song each week, do you? Until next time, this has been Noah Nelson for No Persinium, and I'll see you at the show.